biggest thing that people don't realize is life change doesn't have to be something huge. It doesn't have to be getting married. It doesn't have to be buying a house. It is those things, but I think life change is really more incremental. It happens, you know, small. You could be in traffic and someone lets you in, someone waves at you, someone opens a door for you. All those things add up. And at the end of the day, you're like, man, I had a great day today. Well, wh why was it? Why was it a great day? Well, I don't know. It was just a great day because all these small incremental things happen to you. And that to me is life changing. Welcome to Creating Community with Dorian and Jake, a podcast designed to bring area leaders, business owners, and other interesting people together to better our community. I'm your co-host, Jake Starkey. And I'm your other co-host, Dorian Strickland. We're the owners of 1820 Marketing and 1820 Coffee House in the heart of Alvin, Texas. Our goal with this podcast is to showcase the amazing people, businesses, and organizations we have in and around Brazoria County. So if you know someone who should be highlighted, let us know at info at 1820marketing.com. Today, we are at the Pearland Commerce Center in Pearland, Texas. Zomad Boutique and the Alvin Manville Area Chamber of Commerce are sponsors of this podcast. You can learn more about both of them later on in the show. Creating Community with Dorian and Jake is produced by 1820 Marketing, and you can catch previous episodes at 1820marketing.com slash podcast or on your favorite podcast app. In this episode, we're sitting down with Chris Gonzalez, entrepreneur and restaurateur. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> So we'll take a, we'll go all the way back. How about this? I know you because we worked together at New Hope years ago. Yes, sir. You were in the, the cafe. I was going to say kitchen oh, in yeah. the cafe. So um, volunteering. Volunteering. And then, well, no, we were both on staff. He was oh, okay. part-time for the weekends and, and I was overtime on the weekends. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so back then I remember going to a Bible study at your house mm -hmm. and you going you have to try these nachos. <laughs> so one, where does your love for food come from? And then we're going to dive into everything else. But where does that love and passion for food come from? Well, and I don't know how much time we have on this podcast, but uh, it, it goes way back. Um, basically, my dad, my, I have two dads, uh, been blessed enough to have uh, uh, two wonderful fathers. And my biological dad bought me a barbecue pit, uh, little tykes or something, very small, uh, mobile is on wheels and it had three meats. It had a hot dog, a hamburger and a steak, uh, plastic with the grill marks already on there. And then it was, um, and I don't know how to describe this for your listeners, but, uh, it was like a two, um, well, the grate you could, you could move the, the burner, you could turn the burner high heat. And, and one of the grates, there was two grates stacked on top of each other. And one of them would move to reveal red markings underneath to nice. look like the fire was getting hot. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Really, really cool design for the eighties. But, uh, uh, my dad bought this for me and I remember going around, he, he actually put me some, the, the tools that it came with a very small plastic. So he'd get me some real tongs and some real barbecue gear and a towel to put on the side. Cause it had two handles on either <laughs> side. And I would go around the house and I would, you know, what would you like to eat? You know, I had like this little mobile restaurant, which is very ironic 30 years yeah. later. Yeah. But, uh, uh, and he would say, Oh, you know what? Give me the, I mean, in the menu, when you open the lid, the menu was pasted on the back. And he, he, I'd tell him what we had and describe to him what we had and let me try the steak. And so I'd sit there and I'd cook the steak and flip it and mess with my heat. And, uh, eventually I, I'd give it, I'd give it to him and then he would grab it. And like a, a good dad would, he would kind of like bobble it in his hands, Ooh, that's hot. Hot, 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 you know, and then he would eat it kind of on the side of his mouth. He would make the eating sounds. And, and I just remember always feeling so uh, fulfilled and happy and joy that I could bring my dad something he just loved, you know? And, yeah. and of course that over the years, it transcended into making 
eggs for him the first time I made eggs for him and they stuck to the bottom of the pan, uh, over easy eggs. And it was her father's day one year. And he, he corrected me and said, Oh, you got to put a little butter or something on the bottom to cook them. Uh, and so that, that feeling that I had with my dad and sometimes my brother would entertain me too. And, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't be so dramatic eating his plastic piece of food, but he would, okay, yeah, I'll take this steak. All right, thanks. And, uh, but that feeling that I had, that I had fed somebody that I had given somebody, uh, I had done something for someone else, which ultimately I think, I mean, not to get too philosophical, but that's what this life is about, right? Doing things for others and not for yourself. And I think that's where you get the most fulfillment. And so that feeling, uh, moved, you know, throughout the, in my entire life, I had that feeling, um, whether I was, uh, you know, um, cooking for, for my, my family, my brothers used to take advantage of me and make me, you know, ask me to make them breakfast. They knew I loved making breakfast. And, uh, then, you know, when free I would, meal, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I've, I've, I burnt myself. I had a scar early on trying to make pancakes. Uh, I had, um, you know, my, my, when I was with my dad, my biological dad, who's a single dad, it was either, you know, tuna fish, uh, canned tuna fish, or you'd learn how to cook. And so I, I kind of started learning how to cook. Um, and, uh, it kind of grew from there. And as I got older, I, you know, I would replicate that feeling of cooking for people. And that's, that's actually how I got my wife, uh, to marry me was uh, I cooked for her and uh, did a, a baked chicken that was, that we still use this recipe to this day. Cause it gives you the best juiciest, uh, baked chicken, which usually things that are baked are dry. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I learned to do that when I was, you know, barely in double digits. So that, that is kind of the beginning of my love and passion for cooking. And then, uh, the nachos kind of came from my stepdad, which is, is weird because both my dads contributed, but he would go into a, a restaurant here locally in Alvin and get brisket nachos. And, uh, the brisket was okay. They, they added a lot of, um, a barbecue sauce to it, which, uh, you know, a good restaurant tour will do. They will try to repurpose their meat. So they'd get dry brisket, throw a bunch of sauce on it and use it for nachos or something sure. the next day. And, uh, the chips were just traditional, regular tortilla chips, terrible. They would get soggy. And I said, dad, I said, for one, you know, my, my stepfather, um, he brought the cuisine of smoked meats. You know, he was this old, not old, but, uh, but kind of country, you know, uh, growing up, you know, with the grass in his mouth and kind of old know, school, old school. And, and, you know, he wasn't like my biology. He never really said, I love you or anything like that. He just, he disciplined you and he was hard nosed and he worked his tail off, uh, you know, 16 hours a day. And, um, but he, he loved, he loved cooking. He loved, uh, smoking briskets and meats. And so I kind of got that part of, of love uh, from, from that cuisine from him. And, uh, one day I told him, I said, dad, why are you ordering those nachos? I said, you know, you, you make better brisket than what we're eating. And oh, I yeah. said, we could fry our own chips. And, uh, you know, this was, I don't even know when, I guess maybe 2010 to 2012 around there. We were, he was barbecuing and we were making that. I said, man, we could do our own food truck. I said, you know, I started having these ideas about a food truck and how we could just do nachos. You know, it's because nachos are very, uh, versatile. They're almost like pizza. You can put anything on them. Yeah. Um, and then it, the idea just kind of grew from there. Yeah. One of the things I remember too, is you were working full time <laughs> at a company and then I remember talking to you and you were saying you were also working almost, I would say nights at a food truck that was in Houston, kind of learning the trade. Sure. Why, I think a lot of people say, oh, I want to open a restaurant. Oh, well, we kind of did that with the coffee shop. We just kind of said, Alvin needs this. Let's do it. Let's do it. But you took a fairly systematic approach, for lack of a better term. You went and kind of saw the process. Why do you think it's important? What do you think you learned having been a worker on a food truck before owning your own food truck? Well, first and foremost, I'm not a trained culinary chef, right? I didn't go to culinary school. Um, 
and the chef that was working this truck was. And so uh, just like with uh, Sweet Angels Cafe and Bakery, um, uh, the Forgotten Angels Foundation had a restaurant with a trained chef and I would go and volunteer my time over there. Just like that, I wanted wanted to learn. And the, the beauty of the Sweet Angels Cafe and Bakery was I could help out and volunteer my time and also learn at the same time. But with this food truck, um, it was kind of uh, the same thing. I could learn from a chef, but also kind of get paid a little bit of money. And and I didn't even know if I could work a food truck. I didn't even know how a food truck ran. So it would almost be like opening your own restaurant and never working in a restaurant. Having never and, done it, yeah. So <laughs> I thought, okay, well. Sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> I, wanna, I wanna learn a little bit before, because uh, mainly I have to convince my wife. If it was just me by myself, uh, I'd be like, oh yeah, I can do it. And then if I fell of on my course, face. But yeah. my wife is like, you know, she's the reasonable one and she's the, the smarter one between us. And, uh, you know, with my personality being like, we can do anything, spend any amount of money. She balances me out with, hold on, let's budget. What are you trying to accomplish? And so, uh, it was more prompted by that side of the, of, of her personality saying, okay, well, let me, let's try it. Let me see what I can do. Cause if, sure. if that food truck failed, it wasn't my food truck. Um, and, uh, but at least I could learn. And that was a trained chef. So I could see how he did things. And I did that. I don't know, maybe for a couple months, a few months. Um, and it was, uh, it was a great learning experience. I remember, I remember getting in the weeds so fast and that can happen. Right. Um, for those of you who don't know what that phrase means, they're never been in the restaurant business, just getting really behind and getting a lot of tasks that you can't accomplish. And, and, and you're literally weeded, uh, weeded out as what we say. And so I remember, you know, how fast, you know, orders can come back and, you mm-hmm. know, what you had to do. And that really, um, you know, throttled us to, to say, okay, we need to, have a system where whatever we serve, we can serve quickly because food trucks, you have to serve quick. I mean, even if you look at it by numbers, let's say you can make a dish that takes one minute, an entree. Okay. That means you can only serve 60 people in an hour, right? So if you're at a, an event, let's say that Houston is having this huge event and there's 5,000 people and there's 10 trucks, um, and it's only two hours long. Well, at max, if you're doing a, a minute, a nacho or a minute, a burger, yeah. it's only 120 people. And if you said, okay, well, let's just say, you know, uh, for number's sake, it's $10 a person per person average. Well, that's only 1200 bucks you're making, you know, what are you spending? What's your cost? What's your labor is 1200 enough. And so yeah. we, I really started looking at speed and, and efficiencies, just being on that food truck, which was 2015. Uh, and it, I think it really helped me out a lot. Well, there's also the the setup time, the breakdown time, the cleaning, transportation, yep. all those kind of things that, that I think people are missing. But l- let me ask you about, you're talking about the food truck itself inside the food truck. So somebody walks up to order and they're like, hey, can I get the uh, El Paso nachos, mm-hmm. right? What is that process for you to get that food down? Because all they see is I've placed the order and it's popping out the window. Sure. So for us um, in particular, we didn't do a lot of cooking on the truck. Um, and mainly because we had a self-sufficient restaurant later on, but in the, in the initial time we, everything was cooked and prepared and we were just assembling. So we were assembling nachos. So we would, you know, if, if we served at 11 o'clock AM to two o'clock PM, um, we're grilling chicken at 10, 15 AM. We're grilling fajita meat. We're cooking everything and then it's resting and then we're cutting it up and then we're serving it. And as we need more, we cut more up. So the same way that restaurants work now, if you go to a local Tex-Mex place, there's someone constantly grilling chicken, grilling beef. Sure. And there are very few items, um, that have to be cooked to order. Uh, the ground beef is, is being, is made that morning and it's being held hot. Um, now what they're doing 
is they're putting ground beef and, and shredded chicken and marinated shredded chicken in bags and then they cool them properly because there's a lot of cooling techniques that get real technical, you know, 160 degrees to 40 degrees in a certain amount of time. I think it's like four hours, but they can cool them in ice baths, store them, and then reheat them in a steamer. And so a lot of what restaurants do is just assembly. Um, there are some things that will be cooked to order. And you mentioned the El Paso Notch. I'm glad you mentioned that one, which is uh, kind of a play on words, El Paso on the meat. It's yes. our vegetarian nacho. But That's the one my wife gets. Yes. <laughs> so that one uh, was a uh, cook to order nacho. So for that one, you're looking at maybe two and a half to three minutes sauteing um, vegetables. And you know when you're on the food truck and you have 20 tickets in front of you and you know, whoever's taking the order, a lot of times it was my wife. She would say, we got an El Paso. So I, before I could even, you know, I'd start sauteing vegetables before I even got to that ticket. But, sure. um, but we moved pretty sure. quickly. I think at one point at a wedding in Austin that we traveled to just to, to serve, uh, we got down to 33 seconds a person. Um, wow. was what we averaged. We, you know, wow. did the math on, sure. on how many people wow. we served and how long we served. And uh, it was 33 seconds a person we got down to. Of course, there was only like three options of meat at a wedding. They're not, sure. you're not getting the whole menu. Yes. Yeah. But, still, uh, pretty quick. Still, that's fast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, at our at our food truck, which really helped us out, is people would order. And by the time they, they signed their credit card on our iPad, uh, they would have their food. Yeah. Well, I think that's one of the things is the processes are really important. And I think a lot of restaurants, beginner restaurant owners miss that, miss that. They think, well, I'm just going to serve good food. That's true. A lot, I can make good food, but mm -hmm. I'm not going to open up a restaurant cooking that food because I know that I can't do it at scale. Absolutely. You know? That's scale is the biggest factor because you can make a casserole for your family. Um, but how do you make that same casserole for another 150 people that want to come in and, and order it? And so um, that's what you have to figure out. And that's why as much as people come into a restaurant or a food truck and say, well, you know, it'd be great if you could do this dish. Oh, oh my that gosh. Be great. I hear that all the time. <laughs> Oh, like a chili relleno. I don't know if y'all ever had a really good chili relleno, but yeah. it takes, I mean, you have to make a batter. You have to cook the poblano prior. Then mm -hmm. you have to batter the poblano. Then you have to, you know, cook it, stuff it and cook it again. It is such an intricate process. And people are like, why don't you have a chili relleno? It's, like, it's a lot. Well, yeah. because you're one of four people that are asking. Yeah. And well, I, can't I don't a have a chili relleno because right. you don't have the time to, for, to wait to eat it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There sure is a process for it. For sure. When it's funny too, because you mentioned like starting to saute the, uh, vegetables early one of the things that we notice at the coffee shop is as long as we're as long as we're serving drinks we're good mm -hmm. like the second we start making it, food it flows yeah someone orders a sandwich which we love doing but you you can tell how much that throws a kink into our absolutely processes. and that's and that's where you know we talked about efficiency and and one thing i didn't realize was even in a restaurant you're not supposed to have a person move more an employee who's at a station move more than two steps away from their station then because that you go into inefficiencies okay. then. So if someone is there and they are on, let's say an enchilada line or uh, you know, a pasta line or whatever, and they have to in their normal everyday work trajectory, if they have to move more than two steps, they are becoming inefficient. Um, and so that's one of the things you have to make sure that you have everything set up and that you're not making something that, that's going to cause them. To, oh, I got to go to the back to get that. No, you have to have that somewhere near you, so you don't have to yeah. take those two yeah. steps. Is it is it okay for us to mention where you work right now? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so at, at Gringos, when you're in there, obviously it's fast enough where you can have enough staff in there that is that is not moving more than two steps. But how does somebody starting a restaurant when you're trying to acquire business? So you're lean on staff. How do you get to that process where you have enough business? 
that people don't have to move so fast so that it can go quicker. Because it's a fine line, right? Sure. If you have too many staff, then you can't afford to stay in business. Mm-hmm. If you don't have enough staff, it slows down the process and people get tired of waiting. So how does how do you manage that? I think the biggest thing is you have to start small in everything. With your menu, with your staff, you start small and you're able to scale that up a little bit. Um, if you start big and then you pull back later, like, oh, you know what? This was wrong. We didn't, we shouldn't have added this to the menu or this isn't a big seller or whatever the case may be. Then all of a sudden the guest, they become a little bit of frustrated and, uh, you know, you're not really putting out there what you put out before. So you really have to, to start small. And, and one of the things I like as far as, you know, that type of efficiency is, I don't know if y'all ever saw the movie with Michael Keaton, the founder. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Remember when he's yeah. on the he's on a tennis court yes. and he's mapping out the entire yes, restaurant restaurant yeah. on the the tennis court, and I think something like that where you're actually making it applicable. You know, you're actually trying to do something in the space that you're confined to, and say, wait a minute, this isn't going to work, or oh, this will work, or what if we did this here, and you can just really make it. Uh, uh, quick, you know, I, I worked with a guy uh, and I, here I am talking about assembling nachos, but you, you put a, a, a burger truck, right? So burgers, they take a while to cook. Yep. Well, there was guys that would work burger trucks that I realized they would par cook their burgers. Right. And so they'd be, you know, medium rare or rare, um, but they would keep them in a broth. So the outside was already kind of cooked and then they could finish them whenever order right. them. So it cut their cook time in half. So if they, if they knew that they wanted to sell 120 burgers, you know, they could maybe, you know, par cook 80 of them, put them in that broth. So they're sitting go, in, yeah. in, in, in the proper heat and uh, then finish them, you know, when it was time to time to cook. Yeah. And, and yeah. that really helped out for them a lot. All right. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. And then we'll be back with Chris Gonzalez. This is Zoe. This is Samantha. And we are the owners of Zomad Boutique, a contemporary women's clothing, shoes, and accessories boutique located at 102 North Gordon Street in the heart of downtown Alvin. You can visit us online at zomad.com. Hi, this is Carrie Perrin, president and CEO of the Alvin Manville Area Chamber of Commerce. Here at the Chamber, we want to support local businesses. We want to give you visibility in the community. We want to give you opportunity in the community. And for those of you that aren't business owners, we want to let you know about all our wonderful Chamber members. And if you support them, you support our community. So remember, whether you're a business or a community member, when you eat, shop, play, and support local business, you support the community. And we're back with Chris Gonzalez. So one thing that I remember was during COVID seeing you do a live with uh, at Nacho Nachos because uh, ultimately y'all shut down. I remember watching that and I remember seeing the emotion. I remember seeing kind of the, the passion that you have for your business, for your workers, for your family, all of that kind of wrapped up in that situation. What was it like having to come to that decision? Because there were certain factors, obviously, that went way beyond normal circumstances, right? There, restaurants fail all the time. Well, and you it clearly weren't in that trying. situation alone. It was a lot of people that yeah. that happened to. And but I'm looking at that, going, okay, that was an important moment for me, you know. And then seeing uh, that experience. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. I think that that decision and, and everything that culminates that decision, it wasn't really, it wasn't really just COVID either. I mean, there was a lot of things we could have done differently as a business um, that I'm learning now 
that, um, you know, it's almost like your first girlfriend, you know, <laughs> and, and you think, wow, I really, I remember, okay, my first girlfriend, I never called the, the sixth grader asked me out in fifth grade and I said, sure. And I never talked to her ever again. And a couple weeks later, they said she wanted to break up with her. Her friend said, Hey, oh. she wants to break up. I was like, okay, cool. Like, I didn't know, <laughs> I didn't know you, we were dating. I yeah. didn't know what you did as a boyfriend. I didn't know what you did uh, to, to, you know, you're supposed to call and communicate or walk her to class or hold their books. I just kept on and making my straight A's and, you know, going to PE and hanging out with my buddies. And so, um, you didn't know. And there was a lot of things that I didn't know when it came to the restaurant and those things manifested themselves in culmination with the pandemic. And, um, you know, ultimately it was just best for us to say, we need to just stop the bleeding. We right. need to, uh, figure this out. Um, you know, we, we could have the pandemic not happening could have helped us to correct those mistakes and ultimately get on a track that, um, would have made us, um, you know, as far as financially, but more successful. Um, but that, that was just like that, you know, it's like having a boxer staggered and then hitting him with that, with that final blow. And, and that was the final blow for us. But, but it was hard because, you know, we, we enjoyed so thoroughly serving our community, serving people and, and having the opportunity to just do something you love, you know, yeah. uh, people and food. I mean, I always said it's, you know, food is, is one of the most unifying, one of the most comforting things that are out there. You only need three things that live food, water, and air. And, you know, you, you could experience all of them <laughs> in our restaurant. We, we yeah. like to throw coffee in there, but that's yeah. okay. That's, <laughs> that's, that's okay. Still, you know, we're trying. Absolutely. We're trying. Well, yeah. do you, I guess thinking back, cause you said there were some things, there were other things that led into it. Sure. Do you wish that you had stayed in the truck as opposed to starting the building? Or do you think that was a good move for you? Well, that was, I think it was, I think it was a great move and it was a necessity and it was a huge learning curve for us. Um, you know, it, it, it helped us to really get to where we, we wanted to be a lot faster. Um, but we could have went back to the truck. It was the thing that I don't think some people realize okay. that we were just going to close the storefront, go back to the truck, work the truck, um, low labor. Um, yeah. And I mean, in the middle of pandemic, that really helped us out because people didn't want to go inside anywhere. Yeah. So yeah. we would literally go to neighborhoods and set up and um, not just random neighbors. We would be invited. Right. No, by yeah, of course, of course. And we would, uh, we would serve and people would sit out on their little parks or their little city yeah. park there and, and eat. And it was just, you know, everybody's social people distance. needed to get out. Absolutely. absolutely. And so yeah. we thought, well, let's just capitalize on that. Um, however, I was offered an opportunity um, by the gringos company and uh it was just something i couldn't pass up mainly sure. for my family I, I told my wife because the nacho nachos idea and the food truck had started as a hobby and something i would do on the weekends for fun while i worked full-time in the oil field um i told her from the get-go if i can't make this work um going full-time nacho nachos i said I'll, i can find something my resume is decent enough and i can find something to where i can make sure i take care of this family and it was just it was about time for me to make good on that promise and and that's why we decided you know the part of the deal with me going over um with another company is you know i wouldn't operate or own sure. a, a business and and, sure. all, and you wouldn't want to anyway no, no, you want to yeah. focus your everything that you have on, on growing what you're trying to grow at that moment. And so, um, so we decided to, to, to close the, the truck and, um, and, and, you know, well, who knows what the future holds. So. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think those are all lessons that you can take to your new job, which again, at Gringos is 
they have a system, mm-hmm. they have their processes down, which is fine. But and they're still growing. In, they're yeah. still growing. Oh yeah, right? they're, I mean, they're still in their infancy after yeah. twenty eight years. Yeah, I mean, crazy. They haven't even. In fact, they just reacquired five franchise stores that the franchisee sold back or oh, sold wow. to us. Wow. Um, for after you know twenty whatever years of owning them, uh, because the owner wanted to retire, uh, the franchisee wanted to retire, and he didn't really have anyone maybe to to pass along wow. his children. And sure. he said, "Why? What better thing to do than to give it back to the person who created the idea?" So he sold it back to to the owner of Gringos, and uh, so that really has you know set us up to, to on a hiring and 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 looking at those efficiencies because we weren't part of the ops when it came to that. You know, um, anyone who is familiar with franchising, you know you're contractually obligated in some capacity to use certain seasonings and to right. do certain things. And of course you have to pay a certain amount of money to uh, the franchisor. But um, now we have to go in there and, and look at everything. And so it, it opened up a lot of opportunities for, for the Gringos company. And they actually have another store in College Station. I opening. was just going to mention College Station. Yes, yeah. sir. And so there's a lot of room for growth. Um, it, to me, you know, it was the same thing I was doing, um, maybe with a little less stress. Uh, I'm not signing paychecks. I'm not, uh, you know, balancing the books or anything. Um, but it's, it, like I said before, it's people and food. And and to me, there's no better combination. I had a, a kitchen staff member the other day. He asked me um, if, why wasn't, he goes, I, why are you not in business? And I was like, what do you mean by that? And he meant what he was trying to get at. Why are you not like in the corporate world? Why are you not sitting at a desk somewhere? He goes, you seem like a, like a business guy. And I said, Mark, I said, I don't think I could, I could survive not right. being around people every day. I said, I need to be around people. I'd love to serve people. Um, there are people who come in and they're not at a 10, right? Most, most guests like you guys, you'd probably go out to eat at a restaurant. And even if they messed up your food or they didn't refill your drink, you'd probably still, t- you'd probably still be in good yeah. morale. But there are some people that, that in this world that they want to go to a restaurant because they're not at a 10 and they're, they need something and they want relate, they want relationships, right? They want a, a relational conversation conversation and mm-hmm. it's up to us in the food service to provide that for them. It's, it's up to us to help them elevate them from that four or five that they're at to get them to that 10. Um, and, and it can be trying sometimes, but I look at it like a challenge. I look at it, uh, as an adventure yeah. and I, and I could, you know, we could, you'd waste this entire podcast day by talking about stories that I've been able to encounter um, where where lives literally were changed. And I think that it's one of the biggest things people don't realize is life change is not, it is not, it doesn't have to be something huge. It doesn't have to be getting married. It doesn't have to be buying a house. It is those things, but I think life change is really more incremental. It happens, you know, small, you could be in traffic and someone lets you in, someone waves at you, someone opens a door for you, all those things add up. And at the end of the day, Mm Like, man, I had a great day today. Well, wh- why was it? What was it a great day? Well, I don't know. It was just a great day because all these small incremental things happen to you. And that to me is life change. It's small life change. And so when you're able to be a part of that, if someone's day, I don't care if you're selling tractor tires, or you have a flower shop or you're in a restaurant. If you can do that, I feel like, you know, you're, you feel like your life is worth something. What you're doing is worth something. You're earning your paycheck, but more than just a paycheck, you're, you're earning your spot as a, as another human being. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure we can top what you just said. So, <laughs> I mean, but I, I do think that's oh, why it. we do what we do at the coffee oh, shop is exactly that, that relational experience. Mm-hmm. We try to have everyone walk out happier than they came in, no matter, like you said, no matter where they're at, they come in happy. They want them to leave happier. They come in sad. We want them to leave happy. And I, mm-hmm. I, there's something about food. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. That. Yeah. Could, let's go back a little bit. You said that uh, you were in full time in the oil industry. So 
at that time, did you have aspirations of being in the restaurant business? Or not really in the restaurant business. Um, I always knew that I wanted to do something more, something greater. Um, I mean, there was times when I would, you know, I'd go into Houston and try my hand at stand-up comedy, you know. Really? Yeah, (laughs) I write write a lot of, and a lot of it is terrible, um, but the ideas are funny. You know, you just, it's just with comedy, how do you put it into comedic form, right? Like uh, to me, something funny would be seeing a fire truck on fire, right? But how do you put that into a joke, you know? And so uh, it was, it was really interesting for me to try to, to bring that to people. Like I want people to laugh and look at humor. Like I look at humor. And so that was just something on the same thread as food service, really, because you want to, you want to bring something to somebody and make them feel better. Um, And so there, I always knew that I wanted to do something and I will continue to try to do different things that I love to do, hopefully while, um, simultaneously providing for my family. But if I can find something where I I can do them both, you know, creatively, I I would definitely do it. Um, But, uh, you know, I didn't really think, oh, I wanted to, I got to get into the restaurant business. I just, you know, had this passion, this feeling that I wanted to cook, that I wanted to, you know, there was a creative idea. When you have a creative idea, and you don't want anyone else to steal it. You don't want it to be done before you do it. Right. right. Um, uh, not that it really makes a difference because you can always do it better. But um, as we see in the movie, The Founder. But uh, I wanted to, uh, you know, I, I, I remember thinking of, of naming all of our nachos after cities in Texas. I was on a. Which you did. Yeah. 12 <laughs> or 15 hour uh, flight to, to London, England for a wedding. And um, I took out a pen and paper and I started to meet. That was the most fun was just what city could be associated with Plano, what nacho. Plano, which Plano is Plano nacho, nachos, right? <laughs> cheese and chips, you know, the Plano, Texas nacho, you know, uh, there was, there was a lot of, um, it was a lot of creativity that, <clears throat> excuse me, that I had to get out and, and, uh, and it was just, to me, it's just fun writing and I, and I'd like to write as well. Uh, so, and I always did growing up. So, um, hopefully, you know, with, I feel like I'm still pretty young that I, there's things that I, that I can do when it comes to, to being creative that I could still, you know, make people smile, make people happy. And, uh, and if it involves a food truck or a restaurant, then so be it. But it was sure. never my intention to say, I got to have a restaurant or I got to have a food truck. Those things just kind of, you know, I guess God just put those things in front of me and, and yeah. I'm very appreciative that he did. I don't know that we can go on beyond that. We got to let that be the the end point. Thank you, <laughs> thank you so much, Chris, for coming on the show. Absolutely. And uh, and which Gringos are you at? Well, right now, I'm at actually the sister location. Uh, Jimmy Chong is in Pasadena, uh, and it's the the original. So I came from the original Gringos now to the original Jimmy Chongas, uh, and I've been there since January. And uh, and it's been it's it's a lot different. The culture is a lot different, um, because people are a lot different. So you have, you don't have the same type of staff, you don't have the same type of managers, and it's been a lot of fun to get to know them. And uh, hopefully we'll continue to, to change lives. Fantastic. Well, thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. Always good to see y'all. I'm sure good we'll see you, you around. Sure. <laughs> so. 1820 coffee house, baby. That's there right. <laughs> and if you listener are interested in sponsoring, creating community, we'd love to talk to you. Our goal is to reach our community and let them know about the great leaders and businesses that are helping to make it better. If you want to be a part of that, please email us at info at 1820marketing.com to start the conversation. We talk each week about our goal with this podcast, but we want to mention that we also produce podcasts for others. If you have an idea for a podcast or and would like to discuss it, we'd be happy to schedule a meeting with you to discuss production options. You can email us at info at 1820marketing.com and let us know you heard about us on the show. Thank you to the Pearland Commerce Center. 
Berlin has come in and record, as well as Zomad Boutique and the Alvin Manville Area Chamber of Commerce for sponsoring this podcast. Creating Community with Dorian and Jake is produced by 1820 Marketing and is available wherever you get your podcast. Show notes are also available at 1820marketing.com slash podcast. Thanks for tuning in and we'll be back next week.